0: Hello, g'day and welcome to Party in China, series 2, episode 16. I'm Party Parslow, and we rejoin my tall tale, but true, when I'd been in Ganyu for around a month. As everyone had been too busy in August, my welcome dinner was postponed until early September. My protests that such a fuss was not necessary, nor desirable were predictably ignored, and I found myself in a snazzy sort of restaurant, seated at a huge round table, surrounded mainly by people I didn't know. Muckety-mucks from the school hierarchy, I assumed. Being circular, there was no head of the table, but it was clear that I was in an honoured position, as my friends were all too far away for me to talk to. On my right was a middle-aged woman who I never saw before or again. On my left was the bald headmaster. He was the one who had either had a dump or perhaps a fist pump behind the coaches on our way to the beach. Either way, I made sure I didn't accidentally pick up his chopsticks. That's not a euphemism. Although the round table buzzed with polite chatter, conversation along my arc was non-existent, so I devoted myself to ascertaining which of the incredible number and variety of dishes was a identifiable, b edible, and c palatable, often having to settle for only two out of three as there were so many people that by the time a plate came around again there was nothing left to have a second taste. If it came back around at all, the table was topped with the largest lazy Susan I have ever seen. Huge and heavy, yet so well balanced, applying the normal pressure to move it around sent it rotating at reckless speed, with the centrifugal force pushing some plates right off the edge. Responsible diners were continually giving passing dishes a quick shove back into their place. More opportunistic types were allowing their favourite selections to slip off and remain within their reach. Directly behind me was a much smaller, squarer table which I'd assumed to be for any accompanying children. But instead, several husbands escorting their wives brusquely greeted the inhabitants of the big table and then sat down at the small table. The first four started up a game of cards, a boisterous contest of luck and skill which involved slapping cards down onto the table with yells of triumph or cries of despair. Cards which were found unworthy were torn apart or crumpled up and thrown in any direction. I thought that was a good thing as it meant the noisy game couldn't last long. But as more men showed up, they each brought a brand new deck, and the game just got bigger and louder. If I was at 12 o'clock, then Betty and Ronna were on either side of six, and far too far away to engage in conversation. But Summer was around 8.30, so I could hear her when she yelled some comment or inquiry at me. Mostly, she named the ingredients of the dishes when she knew the English words. But she also translated questions from the bald headmaster at my side. First, they were questions about what I liked to eat. Then, how much I could eat. Then, what I liked to drink. Then, how much I could drink. And finally, did I think I could outdrink him? This was an unexpected challenge at a school function, and I felt a bit like Daryl's strawberry on The Simpsons when Homer asked if Daryl's a better player than he is. And Daryl answers, Well, I never met you, but yes. I looked to Summer for guidance, and her eyes were embarrassed but pleading. She felt bad that I was being put in this position, but it would be bad for her if I said no. So I nodded, and six bottles of Sing Dao appeared in front of each of us. I'd have no problem with the low alcohol content, just the blandness. After several beers, the bald headmaster started heckling the card game. After I'd emptied all six of my bottles and he was on his fourth, he decided to change the drink to Bai a local spirit which tastes like antifreeze and kicks like a blunderbuss. His tactic was sound. By Baijo gets everybody drunk. But he failed to take into account that I was three times his size. He soon became even more obstreperous and decided to enlist the help of his teachers, weaving around the table and forcing unwilling Ronna, Betty, Summer and others to down one or more of his drinks. I matched them all, also unwillingly, but I was in a contest now, and when he finished his wobbly, bullying circumambulation, he regained his seat and slumped unconscious against my shoulder. Everybody was relieved, but they pretended not to notice, so I eased his head face down onto the table where the lazy Susan wouldn't bump into it, and I pretended to. One of the final dishes to arrive was a gigantic fish of a species I didn't recognise, must have been a metre long. But nobody could eat another bite by then, not even to be polite by then. And after summer stood in for the still bald and now snoring headmaster and delivered me a welcome speech, she then presented me with the fish as a token of their appreciation. So I walked home carrying a huge dead fish in both hands. I had to cut it in three parts just to fit it in the fridge and it still went off before I could eat even half of it. It was a generous gift, a thoughtful gift, and a stupid gift. Somewhere in my contract it specified that Aston could lend me out to other schools must have been somewhere up the back. The Ganyu Foreign Languages School was just up the main road and I was told to report there for two or three days a week. This school was everything I hated, huge and impersonal with classes of between 65 and 70 students. The classrooms were so packed, I couldn't even walk between the desks. Just when I was settled and happy at Aston, the new school made me unsettled and unhappy. A condition I soon made clear to anyone who asked, or didn't ask, or didn't care. But lovely Ronna cared, so to cheer me up she invited me to come with her to Shanghai to celebrate the national holiday. A few days later she picked me up at 7 in the morning, we rushed in a taxi to the bus station and I shelled out 130 yuan for what would be between a 7 and 9 hour drive south depending on traffic. 130 yuan is about 21, 22 dollars. Naturally I couldn't fit in the seat and had to put my legs out into the aisle which was sort of comfortable for me but involved turning my back on Ronna, who took to tapping me on the shoulder whenever she wanted to say something. I liked that, as when female friends had tapped me on the shoulder in bed, well, they weren't looking for conversation, so the feeling had pleasant connotations. As we motored down the highway, I wondered why trucks speeding down the wrong side of the road bothered blaring their horns so much. If an oncoming driver couldn't see a bloody great semi-trailer charging at them, they were unlikely to react to a little beep, or a big beep. Then we passed a collision where one truck had rear-ended another truck with both going the wrong way in our lane. So perhaps the horn is to hurry up the trucky in front of you. Four or five hours into the journey, we stopped at a bleak car park in the middle of nowhere for a 10-minute rest stop. I went to the loo but saw something so disgusting I can't tell you. Upon reboarding, Ronna chatted up the guy sitting in the center back seat and got him to let me sit there. So now I could sit straight in my seat and stretch my legs straight down the aisle. Bliss. Unfortunately, Ronna couldn't take the extra motion at the back of the bus and soon went a pretty green colour. So she lurched forward again and sat up the front. Although undoubtedly more comfortable, I missed those taps on the shoulder. Soon after that, we came to a bridge. A big bridge. A long bridge. A really long bridge over a stretch of water so wide, I thought it must be the sea. However, before I could formulate that as a question in Mandarin, a young child in front of me asked his parents, is this the sea? And they laughed at his stupidity. So I kept that thought to myself, although I was pleased that the kid had used the same phrase as I had planned to. Oh, and the wide, wide, wide water was the Yangtze River. Shanghai grew quickly then. Buildings got bigger and then much bigger. Traffic got worse and then much, much, much worse. The bus soon went wandering up some tiny back streets, obviously not suited for large vehicles. We pulled up outside an apartment building with the driver blowing his horn. A flurry of a family flew from the building, opened up the luggage compartment and wrestled and wrangled some live lobsters out. As a few fellas had had to crawl into the luggage space to get them, I think they were scuttling about down there. What a weird experience for them. It must have seemed like a UFO abduction. Nonetheless, the crestfallen crustaceans were dragged away eventually and our bus set off again. We arrived in Shanghai bus station just before 3pm, so it was a a seven-and-a-half-hour trip. I reunited with lovely Ronna, who was daintily vomiting into a convenient empty cardboard box. From the smell of it, someone had previously used the same box for the same purpose. At least one someone. And after she finished, Ronna also put it back where she'd found it right next to the water fountain. Nice. Emerging into what I naively thought was a big crowd milling around Shanghai Railway Station, but which even that afternoon I realized was a sparsely populated plaza, it took us a fair while to find the correct connecting bus. Ronna may have overestimated her skills as a guide. Her passion for photography, however, could not be overestimated. In the first minute or so, she took three photos of me, standing awkwardly amid the crowd, standing awkwardly in front of a sign, standing awkwardly next to a bus, and this trend was to continue for the whole trip. She kept saying, "Patty, I get photo for you. Although I tried explaining that I didn't want photo for me. And even if I did, maybe a few from the whole trip, not a few dozen a day. I'd thought we were going to the hotel, but it turned out that the place she'd booked us into couldn't accept foreigners. So we were going somewhere else, but we weren't going there yet. First, we were going sightseeing. Now I like wandering around new places, but not when I'm carrying a pack and not in suffocating crowds such as we immediately encountered when we fought our way off the bus. This was Old Shanghai, a touristy area which looks newer than the suburbs around it, but is constructed in the old style. We struggled through a scrum which lasted as far as I could see over the heads of the crowd, which was far. To Yu Garden, a charming area of small shops, artisans and craftsmen, and dozens of stalls selling what we would call yum cha. But instead of them bringing you a variety of snacks on a trolley, you surf the circulating crowd until you can get close enough to a counter to order their particular specialty. I enjoyed some delicious prawn balls, some fairly ordinary tofu cubes, and spectacular crab meat soup in dumplings. They shove a sharp straw right through the top of the dumpling and after you suck out all the soup, you demolish the dumpling. It's genius. Strangely, we still weren't going to the hotel. Rather, we arrived for an early dinner with a couple of Ronna's school friends, Ruth and Coco, who'd chosen a Taiwanese hot pot restaurant. Now, I was sick of hot pot because of Sichuan. But in Sichuan, the hot pot is one large bowl filled with chilli oil in the centre of the table. Now, we each had our own pot of soup. You chose between mushroom, seafood or sausage soups, into which we dunked sprouts and cabbages and what claimed to be lamb and what might have been beef and crab sticks and taro and spam and some other stuff which remained unidentified as the girls didn't know the english word for them although i wasn't hungry after the recent yum cha, it was delicious and got us out of the unbelievable crowds it was then decided that we'd all go for a walk to the bund the most popular tourist spot in shanghai And as we waited at a pedestrian crossing for that unspoken signal that prompts Chinese pedestrians to suddenly surge together across the road, I got the biggest laugh, I think, of my time in China. I explained to the young women that in every other civilised country, when you wanted to use a pedestrian crossing, you just used it. And by law, the drivers had to stop to let you pass safely. They roared with delight at such an absurd idea and refused to believe it. I think the time I laughed most in China was in one of my senior Aston classes. We had a lesson about filmmaking and the director interviewed in the textbook said that actors had to be very intelligent. I've worked with a lot of actors over the years, so the lesson had to be postponed while I hooted, hollered, and wept with laughter for quite a long time. (laughs) Sorry about the snort. In the next episode of Party in China, many more Shanghai shenanigans, including the small part I played in the People's Republican Army impression of a Busby-Berkeley dance routine. Don't worry, it'll make sense when you hear it. I'm Party Parslow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from fights.com.